once again, thank you for being here this morning, braving the cold weather, all of coming out to worship. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to be studying uh, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. It's the New Testament book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and help open them up to Galatians 5. If you use your phone or your iPad, that is fine too. Actually, I use my iPad for most of my Bible readings. If you don't have anything, that's okay. We'll have all the verses on the screen right behind me. So no worries. We got you covered. Okay? So Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read uh, through verses 1 to 12. But let's start with just verse 1. And this is what it tells us. It is for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what I like to do, uh, particularly with Paul's writings, is I want to step back for a minute and kind of look at this from a, like a thousand foot view. What is Paul seeing? What is he looking at that's making him get come to these conclusions? What's actually going on? And that's good because it really gives us an understanding of Paul and where he's going to go. But the other benefit of that is we also want to look at it from the point of the people that he is seeing. What are they going through? What are they feeling? What's happening? Like what's all the way around what's going on? And this is important because Paul is using some big words. He uses the word burden and yoke in the religious sense. This is how people are feeling, right? And so it's going to be really important. So Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So Paul clearly wants us to know that Jesus Christ sets us free. right? Free means not being bound up, not tied down, not being restrained or crushed. And his point is this is a very good thing. This is a blessing. This is awesome. This is great. Jesus sets us free. And more specifically, Paul is referring to this. There's a legalistic view that was very popular back then. Some of the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders were teaching that in order to be right with God, in order to you know, get your A-plus grade, you had to follow the law. You had to check things off. I, I kind of call that church push-ups. You, know, you get about 20 or 30 of those push-ups a day and you'll be fine. right? And that's what he's talking about. You need to be circumcised. You need to eat a certain type of food. You need to follow the, the, the holidays, X, Y, Z. You do all that and then you're going to be good. And that's the idea behind it. But there's a really, really big problem with that. If you study the scriptures... Old New Testament, it does not tell us that we can save ourselves, right? Test me on that. Read through the Old Testament, New Testament. You will not find in in there anywhere that says, do this one thing and you will save yourself. You will earn your salvation. It does not say that. There's no checkbox. There's no recipe. So the first problem with legalism, it's just not supported by the Bible. It's just simply not. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 tells us this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become what? Conscious of our sin. We learn about it. We know it. We can't turn our heads and say, I don't see it. it you know, it tells us we're a sinner. Right? So the law was meant to show us that we sin. That's its purpose. So if humans start monkeying with that and try to use it for another purpose to work out our own situation, our own salvation, it's just going to create more problems. It's going to make things murkier, more confusing. It's going to overall make things worse. That's, that's problem number one with legalism. All right, the second problem is when you see that in practice, when people start doing it, uh, humans have a, an, a nasty tendency of like trying to find loopholes to the law. Right? You're laughing because you know there's some truth to that. Right? We like to judge ourselves really well and then really crush others. Like, they're, they're the sinner. Right? 
That's what we do with the law. So the law, actually, we don't apply it fairly. We like to be very generous to ourselves, harsh to others. So in the religious sense, what it does is the legalistic view, it muddies the waters. It makes things confusing. It scares people. It crushes people. And it pulls them away from God, ultimately. It really does, right? That's what happens. Um, So here's a question. Let's make this personal. Is it possible in this church, is it possible for us to, us pastors, to enforce the law blindly on every, I don't care who you are, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. If you're not doing it, I, me and Pastor Craig, you're not getting a good grade. And we have a back channel to God, just so you know. (laughs) I have his cell number. He's on speed dial. Can we do that? Have that kind of system here and still not be good people? Reluctantly, yeah. Here's the the better question. Can we have that kind of system and be really bad examples of Jesus Christ? Yeah. See, that's an easy, it makes it easier. See, so the reason we bring this up is think about how that looks, not just from inside. Think about how it looks from the outside. Let's go further. Let's say you don't go to this church. You've never been here. You've driven past the church on, you know, here on 512. It It looks like a nice church. It looks like nice people. What do they do there? And you come in here and you see this legalist system that us pastors have, in, have set up. It's very us versus them. They're, sin, they're sinners. And the better, the, the better job you do at keeping the law, the more buddy-buddy we're going to be. Right? Are you going to want to come in here and learn, this, learn about God? No. It's going to drive you away. What, what's it going to teach you about God? It's going to teach you God's not really fair. He's biased. Doesn't make sense. And by the way, I still have no hope. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. And I just, this is not something I want to be a part of. And so that's why the system is so bad. That's why the legalism doesn't work. It creates division. It puts up walls. Ultimately, it's a very much us versus them mentality. So it pulls us away. And that's Paul's point. The legalistic system, it binds us. It crushes us. It doesn't free us from sin. Right? It not in any way. And now in the big picture, again, our problem is sin. That's why Jesus was sent into this world. It doesn't solve that. It simply shows us our sin. But Jesus Christ, on the other hand, when he died on the cross, he saves us from our sin. Right? That's what, that's what Paul means when he frees us up. He frees us. Now, Jesus saw this as well, just as much as Paul. And so I want to read something. Uh, that Jesus said, but I want you to think about it from the legalistic sense, see, about how it crushes people, how it separates, how it alienates people. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, it's, this is what's so great about this. There's a lot of things. Number one, Jesus calls all people. All people. There's no condition in there about being Jewish or non-Jewish, circumcised, denomination, whatever, big-time sinner, small-time sinner, somewhere in between. You know, not the bad stuff, but, you know. The only stipulation he gives is that you are called, the people that are called are weary, weak, and heavy-laden. That's who he's reaching out to. The people who carry a yoke. People who are burdened by the legalistic system that doesn't save. And he says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. See, that is beautiful. 
That's why Paul says Jesus sets us free. That's in the big picture what he's referring to. The legalistic system, it burdens us, brings us down, but Jesus sets us free. And he wants, he's, wants the church that he's writing to in Galatia to stand firm in this knowledge. Don't be pulled to the right or left. Stay right there. And Paul's not done. He's got a lot more to say. Let's go to Galatians 5, verses 2 through 4. He's going to get real serious now, right? He says, mark my words. All right, which means today, listen up. Take your phones out. Record me saying this. I'm the, you know, make note of this. He says, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man that lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. And here's the big part. Read it with me. You have fallen away from grace. Now in the religious sense, that is huge. That is enormous. Can everybody kind of pick up that Paul's getting a little more agitated, working things out, right? Like this is an issue that couldn't go away fast enough. Paul's so serious, he says, mark my words. Quote me on this. Write this down. If you let yourself, if you let yourselves be circumcised, meaning do it to accomplish something in the law, to work out your own salvation, Christ is of no value to you. Zero. Not even a smidge. Not a little bit. There's only one thing you can take from that. That is, if you, po- if you pursue circumcision in any part of the law, to work out your own salvation, Jesus is of no use to you. Now, that while this may seem dramatic, he's very, very much on point. You cannot, in any form, in any manner, earn your way into heaven. It's simply not true. That's not how it works. You cannot diminish your debt to God through the law. Even one sin, we're guilty. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it's not like having a swimming pool. You just put your foot, like sin, you put your toe in. You're like, what's well, just my toe? It's not a big deal. I'll just take care of that myself. It's kind of like being pregnant. You either are pregnant or you aren't. There's no little bit. You're sinful. That is it. That is the problem. And we're guilty because the law tells us we are. The law shows us our sin. It's that mirror no one really, really wants to take a good hard look at. Because it shows you your role. Your role with sin. And this is important because Paul says, you who try to be justified by the law, use it as a checkbox, have fallen away from grace. You've fallen away from the free gift of salvation. This is serious, to fall away from grace. And it's important to note, he's not talking about people who we would describe as heavy sinners, convicts, felons, people who run on doing awful things. Right? That's a whole other issue. Paul is referring to someone within the church. Look around. Someone within, I know, someone within the church who has chosen legalism over See what I'm talking about? There's something that's here among us, among him and his church. right? And he's saying, listen, you who do that are going to be judged by the full weight of the law. He says it's Jesus or nothing. To, to choose the law over Jesus means you turned your back on salvation. Again, this is huge. He's not talking about convicted criminals. He's talking about people here in the church. And just for the record, all sin can be forgiven no matter where you are. All sin can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And so it's very important that we understand this. Now let's continue with verses 5 and 6. Galatians 5, verses 5 and 6. For through the Spirit we eagerly wait by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I love that last sentence. I love that last sentence. Now in these two verses, Paul is switching from this hard-nosed teaching on legalism and he's starting to get into the subject of um, faith and what that brings. Right? And the difference between the two, legalism and faith in Jesus Christ, how they work out, how they impact people couldn't be more different. Legalism brings a fall. It brings you down. Faith in Jesus Christ frees you. It raises you up. It brings you in contact with the Holy Spirit. Right? And it does that through the removal of our sin. And this is what Paul means when he says, through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith for righteousness. And he goes on, he says, to further, further put to rest any of this stuff, that legalism, he says, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor, cir- neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So he's like, listen, it doesn't matter, right or left. None of it has value. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. Right? Within that realm, though, people are still asking, well, what does matter? Okay, if circumcision doesn't matter, the other one doesn't matter, what matters? That's a good question. And Paul tells us this in verse 6. He says, the only thing that counts, like the only thing that matters, is faith expressing itself through love. Now, that's a beautiful statement, is it not? That is beautiful. It's just plain cool. Now, but for a moment, I'm going to follow Paul's lead, and we're going to beat up on the legalists just a little bit, okay? And then we're going to go into faith expressing itself through love. And the way I want to do this is, is a we want to use a biblical example to show you the two con, how they how starkly different they are. We're going to see how the legalist view impacts people, and then how faith through love impacts people. And you're going to, they're going to play out right at the same time, and it's amazing. It's great. It's from Luke chapter seven. You've probably heard this story before, but we're going to go into detail. So Luke 7, 36 to 39. It tells us, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. So Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and sat at the table. And it tells us, a sinful woman in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And stood behind Jesus, crying at his feet. She began to wash his feet with her tears, and she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with perfume. When the Pharisee, who asked Jesus to come to his house, when he saw this, he thought to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know that the woman touching him is what? So this is what's going on here. First, we have a Pharisee. He was probably a high roller in the community, a big wig, a big dog, and he knew it. And he invited Jesus to a meal. Not because he believed Jesus was the Messiah, and I'll explain that in a minute, because Jesus was a high roller. And what do high rollers do? They rub elbows, right? They hang out. So he invites him over for dinner. But you're going to notice their view of the world and how they interact with sinners is very, very differently. Notice also the woman in the story, she's already been given a label within the community. And did she choose this label herself? No. It was given to her. It was given to her by the religious people. We don't know who first declared her a sinner, but the Pharisee certainly upheld it because he's doing it now. So this poor woman had this stigma throughout her community, throughout her town, as the sinner. And are sinners welcomed or are they outcasts? They're outcasts. They're to be avoided. 
Notice she wasn't invited to this meeting. She wasn't even specifically told about this uh, dinner at the Pharisee's house, which means no one intentionally told her. Right? The Bible says she learned about it, which means likely, likely what happened is she overheard some people talking about it. I mean, at the well, at the market, she was, a few, she was within earshot of somebody talking about it, and she heard that this man Jesus is going to be there at this place. She heard the conversation and the details. Now here's where it gets interesting. This woman who is an outcast, she is not welcome. Not welcome. She decides in her heart that she's going to go there. She's going to go there. And she's going to see Jesus. Totally uninvited, against all social norms, because if you think they'd welcome her when she got there, you are wrong. She's going to barge into the house. She's going to make her way to Jesus. And then she's going to sit at his feet. Notice she's not going there to ask for anything, is she? She's not going to ask Jesus to stand up for her, to be her lawyer, to change her situation. What's she going to go there to do? To cry at his feet. She's going to go there to weep. She's going to cry so hard, her tears are going to make his feet wet. And what's she going to use to dry his feet? Her own hair. She's doing this because she's a sinner and she has no hope. The current religious system has outcast her. There's nothing for her. The only thing she can do is go to this one person she heard who is the Messiah and she's going to cry at his feet. She's crushed. Then she takes perfume and she wipes his feet. Again, notice at no time does she ask for one thing. She doesn't deserve anything. Now here, here is where the difference between the legalist system and Jesus Christ couldn't be more different, what's about to transpire. The text tells us the Pharisee, this is what he thought to himself. This is how you get, no, he doesn't think Jesus is a Messiah. If this man Jesus were really a prophet, he would know this woman's a what? Sinner. And he wouldn't let her do what? Touch him. So he doesn't think Jesus is a real deal. Because you would know you don't touch sinners. If you're the real deal, you would know the sinners and you don't let them touch you. But notice what Jesus does. It's in verse 50. It's absolutely beautiful. Take anything from this today. Take this. Jesus said to the woman, because you believed. Right? Why? Because she believed. What happens then? You are saved from your sins. You are saved. And then what's he say? Go in peace. It's beautiful. Notice, there's no discussion of what she did or how many sins. It's irrelevant. It didn't matter. The crazy burden that had crushed her and excluded her, the current system for so many years was now gone. Why? Because she had faith in Jesus Christ. She didn't expect anything. She didn't know what to ask. Guess what? She, doesn't, she didn't know the Lord's Prayer. She couldn't name off all the 12 disciples. What did she do? She had faith. And she simply went to Jesus Christ. And he said, you're healed, you're saved, you are forgiven. And this is what's cool. The lady fully understood the current legal system and it had separated her from everything. 
She would have felt it every day. She would have felt it when she went to the well to get water. She would have felt it at the market. She was outcast. But within this incident, Jesus changed everything. Remember, the way the system worked was the religious leaders were the ones who had branded her a sinner. And again, those are outcasts. Those are people you don't touch. When she went to the market, like today, if she went to Publix and she went to reach for a, a cart at the same time as someone else, you think they'd go, oh, no. they'd be like this. When she got done and she pushed it back, somebody like, you have some wipes. She, she touched it. You think I'm joking. Think about outcast. In this country, what, 100 years ago, there were uh, water fountains that certain people, depending on the color of your skin, weren't allowed to use. We're not allowed to go to the pool. Why? That's a political, this, this is a religious sense, the same thing. And that was her experience. That was her world. Now let's get real personal here. What if, again, if in this church, that's how we operated? What if myself, Pastor Craig, Pastor Joey, we were on telling people, you guys are sinners. You guys. How would that make you feel if we were the ones driving it? Would that lift you up? Would that crush you? When you go to the, when you go to the, the, the market and you reach for a jug of milk and someone else is there and they go, oh, that's that guy. They don't want their kids to play with your kids because you're a sinner. That's how it went. That was this lady's life before Jesus Christ. But now this is where it gets awesome. What was her life like after that? How did everything change? Because notice, when Jesus told her this, that she was forgiven and saved, he didn't go, everybody hold on a second, and call her outside around the corner. Hey, listen, you're saved. Everything's cool. You're fine. Go, go, go. What did he do? Right in front of everybody, in front of the Pharisee, because you believed, you are saved. Go in peace. He changed the system for the whole town. Now, don't think about just this day. Think about her life for the next few days, weeks, months, years. It doesn't tell us how her life went, and I would love to read that book. I would love to know what that was like for her. That crushing feeling was gone. She didn't have any fear now going to the well to get water. She could just go. When she went to sleep at night, she put her head on the pillow. She wasn't worried about death or if she had hope. She knew where she was going to spend eternity. She no longer felt guilt. She was no longer outcast and downtrodden. The Messiah himself told her because of her faith, her sins were forgiven. That is what freedom through Jesus Christ means. Right? And see, this story is a perfect example, perfect example of why legalism doesn't solve anything, but faith in Jesus Christ is what solves things. Right? That's why Paul is so adamant about all this. That's why he's so forceful. Let's continue uh, with Galatians 5, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Now here's where Paul is making it more personal for each person. He's not asking some deep abstract question. He's going, no, listen, who did that to you? I'm looking at everyone. Who did that? Who told you that? Why did you listen to that? Who? This is a very personal letter. 
And this isn't one of those letters. Like Paul wrote some letters. There's in the Bible where he talks about how good they are and how proud he is and how he prayed and things are going so well. This is not one of those letters. This is one of those letters like if they were at a church picnic and someone goes, oh, hey, we got another letter from Paul. Let's read it. And they read it and he just lays into them like this. Who did this? Who told you this? Why are you going on? It would have killed the mood, as it should, right? And in verse 8, Paul gets more direct. He says, this kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Which means what? It doesn't come from God. If it doesn't come from God, who's it coming from? The devil. I've said this before, and I'll always say this. The devil's number one goal is not to get you to believe in him or follow him. His number one goal is for you to not believe in Jesus Christ. You can believe in anything you want. He'll make it easy. Oh, very easy. Anything. Atheism, legalism, Buddha, whatever. Just not Jesus Christ. And this information that the people are getting in this church, it doesn't have to come from some huge book, you know, with an author with PhD or, you know, some official teaching. It can come from side comments, side opinions, come from small groups, political leaning, especially today is very important, very influential. It can come from people in the church who simply don't want to lose power or influence. The point is, this information is not always on a billboard where you can see it a mile away. It's more subtle. It can work its way in. It can take time. It can be very dangerous in in very small quantities. Let's look at what Paul says next in verse 9. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now Paul's choice of the word yeast, it's not an accent, it's not random. Yeast back then was much more well known. People made their own bread. Remember a couple years ago we got a bread maker, we were going to make some bread and it said yeast. I'm like, where did a man get yeast? Apparently public sells it. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. (laughs) Guys, write that down. If you need to, you can do that. Point back then, they all knew it that way. They made their own bread. It had a huge significance with Passover. When the Israelites were in slavery, uh, they were told to take lamb's blood and paste it over their doorposts so the angel of death would pass over their houses. And then shortly after that, the Pharaoh told them to get out, kicked them out. So they didn't have time to put yeast in their bread and let it rise. So they had to leave and they just ate unleavened bread. So the whole concept of unleavened bread, meaning keeping the yeast out, it's a reminder of God saving and redeeming his people. It's a very cool concept. It took faith for the Israelites to paint blood on their doors. It took faith to trust in God that now that they were freed and heading out into the desert alone, that he would take care of them. So Paul's use of the word yeast kind of has a a, a double warning, a double meaning. First, it reminds the readers, us, that yeast is reminiscent of God saving his people. And the second part is that just a tiny bit of that can work its way in and get through the entire system. It can infect the entire church. He's saying there's no safe small dose. The tiniest bits are dangerous. And the reason it's so dangerous is because it's completely contrary to the simple concept of faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what matters. Believing in him and following him. Let's read verse 10. Galatians 5.10. He says, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. 
So Paul's switching gears a bit, and now he feels confident that the church is going to make the right decision. The church is going to stay on track. They're going to get the message. They're going to remain strong. But notice, that's not at all what Paul says. He gives a stark warning to the people throwing them into the confusion, the people bringing in that yeast, that tainted information. The ones who are teaching this are teaching a false doctrine, and Paul says they're going to have to pay a penalty. Notice that penalty doesn't come from man. It comes from God. I want to pause for a moment on this, because this is important, uh, even today, that we understand exactly what this means. And so I want to share uh, something from the book of James, chapter 3, and then we're, we're going to talk about it. So James, chapter 3, verse 1. James tells us, Not many of you should, come, should become teachers, my fellow believers, and this is why. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's, it's pretty straightforward. James is not telling people not to be teachers. He's giving you a warning. Those who teach will be held to a higher standard. And just to be clear, to teach about Jesus Christ doesn't require you first to be an ordained pastor, to be an author. There's lots of different ways teaching occurs. Uh, Home groups can teach, happen uh, at lunch when you're talking about Jesus Christ, whatever. There's a lot of stuff that can constitute teaching. And the reason I'm being so specific here is what, what this church was experiencing in Paul's day wasn't coming necessarily from an ordained preacher, this legalist view. More than likely, it was coming from Jewish travelers from Jerusalem who were going around the countryside, visiting different churches, and they meeting at homes. They were just having conversations and talking. Again, it could have started in small groups, but it was working its way into the church. Could have been a little bit of all of that stuff. The point we're making here is that teaching a tainted message, something that's twisted, comes from a lot of different areas. And Paul's warning is there is a penalty for doing that. The standard for those who teach is higher. And the penalty from the, or the repercussions for that doesn't come from man. It does come from God. So we always need to be well-informed. We need to carefully consider what we're going to teach, what we're going to say, and teach straight from the Bible, nothing else. Don't let politics, don't let opinions, or other people influence what we teach. That's why we teach the way we do in this church. You'll notice we literally walk you right through the Bible, verse by verse, and we want you to read the Bible. We read a little before, we read a little after. We want you to be well informed, because we know God is building each one of you up to be used, and that way you'll be prepared when it happens. And also, as a pastor, it's perfectly okay if someone asks you a question and say, you know what, I don't know. Let me go look. I'm also, I'm not one of those pastors that I have a, a photographic memory. Like you said, oh, what did James say? And then I'm like, let me go look it up. I know a guy who can actually tell you, he'll go, what, kind of, what, verse, what uh, type of Bible do you have? You have the NIV? Okay, that's going to be on 745 on the left-hand column, just about halfway down. I'm like, Yeah. It's okay to go, you know what, I don't know. Let's look it up or let's ask the pastor. That is perfectly okay because the message matters that we get it right. So let's read now from the last two verses uh, from Galatians 5, verse uh, 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? If that's the case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That always gets some chuckles. It's okay. We're going to talk about it. Let's talk about verse 11 first, then, then we'll go into verse 12. Now, the way that verse 12 is uh, stated, the way it's translated, can be a little confusing at first. 
But what Paul is talking about is the fact that Jesus dying on the cross for our sins can be offensive to legalists. The, the idea is that we all sin. We have sin, each one of us. Not from just from personal experience, not everybody wants to admit that they have sin. They have stuff they need to stop doing. They need to turn things around. Just look at how us humans like to bend the rules. Loopholes. Whenever I say loopholes, there's always about a quarter of the congregation that just kind of cracks up a little bit. Because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? We know what the law is, but you know, come on, you know. It's me, come on, right? We also, here's a really good example. And this one always gets me. The word mistake. People like to use the word mistake in place of sin. And really quickly, can you come up in your mind why that is? It's a mistake. We all make mistakes. Mistake, come on, mistakes. Mistakes. It's a mistake. What's the difference with the word sin? Sin feels heavy, feels direct. It's right at, you can't wiggle out from the word sin. Sin implies ownership. Even the way we say mistake, mistake. Look what I do with my head. It's a mistake. Here it is. It's a mistake. You feel it? You're laughing, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. When politicians do things that are awful, have affairs, steal money, it's a mistake. It's not a mistake when you planned it for you. you know, it's not a mistake. It's a sin. We all have sin that needs to be removed by Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying that is offensive to some people. They do not want to own up to it. People will fight against that. And in verse 12, what can I say? Paul said what he said. As for the agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And Paul actually likely meant two things here. One, since the legalists, since they were telling people you had to be circumcised, he's saying that they should just go ahead and do that to themselves. You can go all the way. The other thing he likely intends here is that those people should also be cut off from the church. Since they're cutting things off, just cut themselves off because they're so dangerous. Now the reason Paul is so blunt, and this is going to make sense, the reason this mattered so much in Galatia 2,000 years ago, which is essentially basically modern uh, northern Turkey, because the future of the church was at stake. If you look at a map, like at the end of the church, Google that area and you'll see it's not that far from Jerusalem. The early church had only spread a small amount. Hadn't gone very far. So if this legalism stuff took root, became the dominant message that was taught, it was going to affect things forever. I mean, just think about it. It's 2,000 years later. We're on the other side of the world, and what are we talking about? Legalism. And when I say we like loopholes, mistakes, you all know what I'm talking about. You've all seen it, meaning the message is still there. It's still being taught. It's still out there. There are certain denominations that get real heavy in the legalism stuff. We don't need to name names, but you're going to know what I'm talking about. It's very easy to lose the message of Jesus Christ because humans, as a rule, do not like to account for their own sin. We like loopholes. So that's why Paul stayed strong. That's why it matters. Jesus Christ matters. Lost people matter. So this is where we come to the end of the teaching for today. And this is what we need to know. This is why we're here. This is why Paul wrote this. Is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Which is each one of us. Amen?
Amen. He came to, away, came to wash away our sins and make us new. But that can only happen if we have faith. Faith like that poor young woman who was labeled a sinner. And that is just simply to believe. No preconditions, no denomination. It doesn't matter what you've done. We don't ask. We want everyone to have a chance to believe in Jesus Christ. So like we always do, in a minute we're going to say a prayer. And in that prayer, if you would like to commit your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to invite Jesus in, all you have to do is say the words quietly that I say. What you say is between you and God. No one has to hear. No one's going to ask. There's no test. But we want to give you that opportunity. But also in that prayer, we're going to pray for everybody regardless. That we all have faith. That we lean on God more and that God uses each one of us in the gifts he's given us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today, I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me. I ask him to save me and then to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today, each one of us and as a church, we pray for strength to endure all trials. May everything we go through, good and bad, may it strengthen our faith, our resolve, and may we always lean on you. Father, today we also recommit ourselves to you. Many times in life we get pulled away, we fall out of sync with you, but today we make the choice to recommit to you. It's our choice, and we choose you. Father, we also pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you. It's only through you and the saving grace of your Son that any of us have hope. And Father, we pray that as our faith grows, you will use each and every one of us. Use the talents you've given us. Use us to expand your kingdom, to help others in their faith, people that are lost, even in small ways, in big ways, whatever way. Use us, Father. We thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We thank you for the church, but most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us. In his name we ask all these things. Amen.